Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, just as we have already heard you and you alone are the one who is able to make us willing and able to trust in your word, to see it clearly, to look upon the Lord Jesus in faith. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to give us clear eyes this morning. We recognize that not only do you need to give us understanding, but you also need to be the one to apply it to our hearts and lives. There are so many various places in which your word needs to go within us. And as we go about life, applying the scriptures, applying the truth to us and sealing it to our hearts so that we could live for your glory in greater trust and dependence upon Jesus. And this we pray for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, and you'll find that in your pew Bibles on page 843 and 844. Before I read it, I have a friend who, uh, before he got married, his mother had taken care of him extremely well. She did all of his laundry, she did everything for him, so that he had no need of learning any skills or actually doing anything for himself. Maybe some of you ladies feel that way about your husbands, I don't know, but um, the first few months of their marriage together, his wife brought him a cup of coffee and set it down in front of him at the table and he asked, did you add sugar? And she said, yes, I added the sugar. Did you add two scoops of sugar? Yes, I added two scoops of sugar. And then he looked up to her, at her and said, did you stir it? And she looked back at him with a look that said, buddy, you can stir your own coffee. And in that moment, there was a great paradigm shift for him. He wasn't living with his mother anymore. He was living with his bride. And he was called to take care of her rather than wait for her to take care of him. Now, there's going to be a great paradigm shift, you might say, for the disciples as they follow Jesus. And their expectations of him are such where they think that he will meet their particular desires. And eventually, they're going to come to understand his ministry in a completely different way. We see this morning how, um, how slow they are to grasp that reality and how slowly this paradigm shift begins to take place. But um, let's read here verses 1 through 21 of chapter 8. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed the, these people with bread here in this desolate place? And they asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a, a, a few small fish, and having blessed them, 
he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven basketfuls. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? If you've ever taken a lesson for maybe a sport, maybe you've taken a golf lesson or you've gone skiing, snow skiing, and you've taken a lesson, maybe a refresher course, your swing is a little bit out of whack and you need to get things straightened out because your slice is taking the ball onto the other fairway. And so you sign up and you go to your lesson. And what you're hoping is that maybe you'll learn something new that will straighten out your swing. But more often than not, what you actually find is that your instructor wants to remind you of the same things that you've learned before, but now you are failing to do. He wants to get your grip right. He wants your stance to be proper. He wants your balance and your follow-through to be just as it should be. In other words, he wants you to go back to the basics and learn the same old lessons all over again. So often we're actually not very quick to learn our lessons. And that's exactly what's taking place here with the disciples. They don't learn lessons very quickly. And oftentimes our teachers are not always patient as we struggle to understand lessons. And yet what we see is Jesus is a very patient teacher and Savior. Now, Mark presents the disciples throughout his gospel as being spiritually dull. They, they don't understand very quickly. They're slow to learn, always misunderstanding things. Maybe that's because the apostle Peter is behind the writing of Mark and Peter knew himself to be very slow and dull and didn't get things very quickly. If you think of some of the lessons that are doubled up in the gospel of Mark, certainly there's the storm. The disciples are out on a boat. Jesus is with them and they're afraid. He calms the storm and yet a couple of chapters later, they're on a boat in a storm all over again, and they're afraid. 
They haven't learned the lesson that Jesus wanted them to learn. We see Jesus dealing with children where the disciples want to keep the children away. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And a very similar event occurs a couple of chapters later. The same thing is true with the feeding of the masses. A couple of chapters ago, we've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men that is, plus women and children, possibly fifteen to 20,000 people. And yet here we are again. There are 4,000 people gathered. And they have this question. How can anyone feed this number of people in a desolate place like this? And Jesus, at the very end of this passage, asks the relevant question of them. Verse 21, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? If it were me, if I were Jesus, I think I would respond like John McEnroe. You remember the great tennis pro from the 70s and 80s? He would fight tooth and nail with the umpires about whether or not his ball was in or out. And the question that he would always say is, you cannot be serious. And that would be my response to the disciples. And maybe it's Jesus' response to me at times. You can't be serious. Do you not yet understand? You've seen me do this already. And yet you're asking, where are we going to get bread Jesus has his little school, you might say. His disciples follow along with him for several years, and he very graciously instructs them. In a way, it's the way things were intended to be. You remember how Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden so that God could not only reveal himself, but instruct them and reveal things about his world to them. Bring the animals before Adam so that he could see and name all the animals that God created. That's how we are to learn. And yet because now we've in a sense been cast out of the garden into the wilderness, this world is no longer this perfect school of learning, you might say, but rather it's more like the school of hard knocks. And we are very dull and receiving the lessons that God wants us to learn. I think the disciples feel this too. But Jesus is a patient teacher of spiritually dull disciples. Not only the disciples who walked with Jesus, but disciples like you and me, who again and again and again have to be taught the same things. They were dull, and yet he didn't give up on them. He has this relentless sense of commitment to his people. Well, he will not give up, and he will continue to patiently instruct his people so that they will trust him more, they will obey him more, they will serve him more, they will depend on him more. So what we're called to do is make every effort To learn from our Lord Jesus. Let me ask several questions of this text this morning. The first is this. Why don't we learn spiritual lessons quickly? Why don't we learn? Why is it so hard? You've asked yourself this question before. It's the same thing all over again. Why didn't I get it? I've learned this several times in the past. 
why can't I apply the same truths here? Or why am I continually struggling with this particular sin? I know it's bad. I know it's destructive in my life. Why don't I learn quicker? Well, it's because unbelief is so deeply rooted in the sinful heart. It is deeply embedded within us. Jesus gives us a few clues about this with some of the questions that he asked the disciples. In verse 15, he tells them to watch out or beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They don't understand what he's speaking about. They think that he's speaking about physical bread. And so in verse 17, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. So here Jesus begins to ask some questions. And it, these questions in particular reveal things about our sinful heart that make it difficult for us to learn quickly. The first is this is a failure to comprehend spiritual truths. A failure to comprehend spiritual truths. Verse 17, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? He was trying to teach them a spiritual lesson, warning them of, of the influence of the Pharisees and of Herod, of that unbelief. And what are they thinking about? They're thinking about physical bread. They, they've only brought one loaf with them. Maybe Jesus is chastising us because we've only brought one loaf of bread and we, we can't go through the drive through when we get to land. Do you see what they're doing? They're looking at life on a horizontal plane. They're only looking at the physical and they're not able to listen and have ears to hear the spiritual realities that He is speaking about verse 18 have you uh, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear remember back in chapter 7 when the pharisees were holding strongly to the traditions of the elders rather than to the word of god we talked about how we often can hold to our traditions rather than the word of god i've known parents who when their children are about ready to go off to college, their first thought is, well, I want my child to have the same kind of experience in college that I have. I, I want them to join the same fraternity or I want them to join the same sorority. And yet they haven't even thought, wait a minute, is that what is spiritually good for my child? Or students who haven't found a Christian person to date. And they're looking around and there's this great non-Christian friend. And what would be the harm in dating a non-Christian? And they can't see beyond the horizontal to the vertical and recognize, well, if you date that person and you end up marrying someone who has completely different convictions than you, then you will be going this way in your marriage and in your relationship. So often we look upon the horizontal and we fail 
to learn spiritual truths. The second is this. It's a failure to trust in Christ. Verse 17, he says, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? Are they they stubborn? Are you unwilling to learn? Are you unwilling to, to see clearly what I'm trying to teach you? Think of Pharaoh when Moses continually came to Pharaoh telling him true things from God and Pharaoh said, no, I will not let the people go. He had a certain resistance level to God and His Word and every one of us has resistance points to God too. They may not always come to the surface, but when situations arise, God, you seriously cannot be calling me to forgive that person. You can't be telling me that I need to love my enemy. And that person is my enemy. And you see, at those points, all of a sudden, our unwillingness to obey, our unwillingness to trust, our hardness of heart begins to bubble up to the surface. Well, the third reason is this. It's a failure to remember the works of God. Verse 18. uh, He says, having eyes, do you not see and having ears, do you not hear? And are you not uh, do you not remember? And he speaks about the five loaves when feeding the five thousand. And he speaks about the uh, the uh, uh, basketfuls that he has uh, uh, given to them in feeding the four thousand. In other words, here they are worried while they're in the boat that they've only got one loaf. And they've seen Jesus feed about 20,000 people with just a few loaves. Do you not remember? It makes their question absurd. And yet we are people who have a deep capacity to forget the works of the Lord. You know what this is like. Maybe you have a friend who is struggling with whether or not God is really good because of their circumstances. And while they're bearing up under these particular circumstances, you want to encourage your friend. So you speak to your friend about how good God is and reminding them of how faithful God has been in the past. And then a little while later, you find yourself in a difficult situation and you can't see straight and you forget what God has done. And you find yourself in the same place that your friend was wondering, is God good? Look at my circumstances. How quickly we forget the works of the Lord. You see, each one of these things are points at which we struggle to learn from Christ. And it's because of our unbelief and our hardened hearts that we require repeated lessons just like the disciples. And when the table is turned, sometimes we uh, uh, fail to understand to grasp and to believe all the spiritual truths that he is teaching to us. Think of how long it took Jacob to learn how to be humble. You remember Jacob, the man who would twist and manipulate the truth so that he could manipulate his father into getting the blessing for himself? It was 14 years later before he was willing to humble himself before his brother Esau 
before he was at the point where he knew if God did not bless him, he was a man without hope. 14 years. So often in the Scriptures what we see are decades going by before the people of God learn. Here's what God's trying to teach me. This is the kind of person God's trying to make me. Here's how He wants me to depend upon Him. We, like the disciples and like so many other saints throughout the ages, are very slow to learn. Yet God is faithful. So the second question is this. How does Jesus teach His disciples? Well, it's interesting that when Jesus fed the 5,000 a few chapters before, it was the disciples who came to Jesus with a question, how are we going to feed these people? Actually, they said, let's dismiss these people because we can't feed them. But actually, it's Jesus now who comes to the disciples. Back in verse 1, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, Jesus wants to teach a lesson here. He's got something to say. And Jesus has a number of strategies for teaching us His grace. There are four that you can identify in this passage. One is simply teaching. He tells them in verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar. He's setting them up and saying, look, here uh, here is a particular situation where I... I want to reveal my heart of compassion. I want to care for them. And so Jesus directly teaches us from His Word. Verse 15, we're given this warning of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Jesus directly teaches us of the Scriptures. And so He's wanting us all the time to have our lives rooted in the Bible so that we can learn the same lessons over and over and over again. Just like going to your golf pro and you learn the same things over and over and over. But he's also doing something else. He's demonstrating the things that he teaches. Verse 19 and 20, we've already read these questions. He speaks of the basketfuls that he has produced for the masses. Jesus has already done the very things that he's asking the disciples to go and do. Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't first done himself. Jesus has dealt with far more than you and I have. And he's not asking you or me to go any further than what he is willing to go. Thirdly, he does this. He positions his disciples in a place so that they can act. Verses two and three, when he's speaking of the compassion that he has on them, and he says, if I send them away hungry, they'll faint on the way. Now, Jesus is setting the disciples up, isn't he? You see, the disciples should have heard Jesus and said, now, wait a minute. I've seen this before somewhere. Where have I seen this? Well, maybe a couple of months ago or or even just a few weeks ago, Jesus fed a crowd of about 20,000. He had compassion upon them. He wanted us to feed them. You see, Jesus has 
taught them. He has demonstrated it. And now he says, now I'm putting you in a position where your normal response should be like mine. I have compassion on these people, too. Do you see what Jesus is doing with us and repeatedly teaching us lessons? So that when we find ourselves in that kind of position all over again, we can speak like Jesus. I have compassion upon them. I want to forgive them even though they've wounded me. I want to serve my enemy here. So Jesus is leading us to follow suit right along the lines of everything that he's taught and everything that he has demonstrated to us. Now, sometimes these positions that he puts us in, they're stressful. They're hard to face. We don't have the wisdom for them. And yet, he's calling us to endure, to be faithful in those things. You see, he's entrusting something to us. What a great risk that God takes in doing that. Entrusting to this group of dull disciples the kingdom of God? Entrusting to, to people like me and to people like you? Yeah. Because he knows that we learn by doing. And he wants to teach us even in a relentless fashion of his grace, of his mercy, of what it is like to be like him. Now one fourth thing here about how Jesus teaches us. It's by questioning us. That's what we saw in verse 17 down through 20. Jesus questions the disciples. Now God does this a lot in the Scriptures. You remember Job? Job had some questions for God. Why is all this hardship coming upon me? And God had a response for Job. Brace yourself. Because I'm going to question you. God questions us all the time. In fact, just one um, page over when Jesus is dealing with his disciples, he asks the question, who do you say that I am? He's drawing out from them their convictions. What do you really believe, guys? And Jesus questions us all the time. Every time we come to the scriptures, he's questioning us. Now, is that what you believe? Is that how you view me? Is that how you live? He's constantly probing us with various questions. And when he does so, it often stings. Surely the disciples, when Jesus was going through all of these questions, they were stinging questions because the implication is, boys, you should know these things. And it stings us too when Jesus asks us questions oftentimes because it takes us by surprise we think we're moving along just fine and all of a sudden you read something in the word or you hear a sermon or some thought comes to mind and you realize oh my how far off I am in this particular area of life because Jesus begins to question us Jesus is subversive in our lives in every one of these ways. He has no intention of leaving us just as He found us. He wants to make us into glorious, 
a living temple that displays His beauty, His glory, His righteousness, His love, His compassion. And so He is subversive in teaching and in demonstrating and putting us in positions where we're required to act and in constantly questioning us to see just where He needs to test us. But you know, that's exactly what a good friend does, doesn't it? A good friend asks us those hard questions. You remember the book of Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We all need friends who will ask us the hard questions. And Jesus is that faithful friend. One other question. With whom is Jesus, Jesus patient with whom is he patient to teach? Well, it comes out here as we see the difference between the way Jesus handles the disciples and the way Jesus handles the Pharisees. Look in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation and he left them. Jesus sighed. Now remember last week we saw Jesus sighed because of the weight of the fallenness of this world. Of all the hardships that these people who came to him had to endure. And this time he sighs because of their unbelief. Because they come to test him. See the issue that Jesus reveals is with his question. Why does this generation seek a sign? Why do they want a sign? Because they want to test him. The answer is not a good one. You see, this is an effort to get proof that they can accept rather than accepting the proof that Jesus offers. He's just given them a sign. He's fed the masses miraculously. And yet that's not good enough for them. It's almost as if they're saying to Jesus, jump higher, buddy. Perform for us, and then we'll maybe believe in you. Now, the disciples may have been dull, but they weren't rebellious, and they stuck with him. In fact, that's one of the ways that Mark describes the disciples in his gospel, that they were with Jesus. They may have been spiritually dull, but they were committed to him, and they followed along with him. But the self-righteous, the proud person, it's that person that he has no patience for. And it's that person that on the last day he will say, away from me, I never knew you. But if you're struggling to believe, if you're struggling to follow Jesus, if you're struggling to learn from him, then he is patient with you. Just like the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, heal my son who has been possessed by a demon. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the kind of person that Jesus patiently and gently and graciously instructs. Aren't you glad that Jesus is a patient teacher and Savior? That He doesn't just brush you aside. Rather, is very kind 
and gentle. Let me ask one last question here. What spiritual lessons does he teach us here? Let me mention two briefly. One, Jesus leads us to embrace the harder path of sacrifice. Jesus leads us to embrace the harder path of sacrifice. Now, the last time Jesus fed the masses, the the thing that the disciples wanted to do was to dismiss the crowd. And they're wanting to do the same. This is a pattern for them. This ministry is hard. These people are needy. We don't think we can meet these needs. We'll dismiss them. That's their strategy. What does Jesus say? Now, wait a minute. How many loaves do you have? Let's see how we can feed these people. Jesus never sends away those who are in need, those who come to them and those who trust in him. Their response was poor, but he wants them to be the ones to choose the harder path of sacrifice. After all, that's the path he chose, right? Not glory in heaven, but the harder path of sacrifice. The last is this. Jesus leads us to guard against putting God to the test. The very thing that the Pharisees were seeking to do. And he says, watch out. Be alert. Be careful. They wanted to test Jesus. They didn't think that he was really the source of truth. Real authority. So they set themselves up as real authority. We'll be the ones to determine if you are really the son of God. You do enough for us. Maybe we'll believe in you. And he says, now that is a very dangerous road to go down. Because if you're suspicious of God's authority. And all of a sudden you begin to put up your own qualifications of, well, if God does this for me then I'll believe in Him. That is a dangerous, dangerous road to go down. Now why this lesson? It's because unless you establish in your own mind that Jesus is the Son of God, that His authority reigns, you never will choose the harder path of sacrifice. Which is the thing that He was trying to teach the disciples from the very beginning. Follow me, He says. But you better trust that I and I alone are the final authority for your life. You know, parents, parents struggle at times to teach their children. Children are sometimes difficult. They don't want to learn. They've got their own agenda. But a good parent never lets up. A good parent says, I'm not giving up on you because you belong to me. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not giving up on you because you belong to me. And everybody who trusts in Christ has that assurance that Jesus is a very patient Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your patience. We thank You for Jesus and His patience with us. And we long for Him to continue His work that we might be shaped more and more into His image, crafted into His likeness to display His glory, remove from us our spiritual dullness, 
that our whole lives would be delivered over to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.